Welcome back into the mental game. I'm your host, Brandon Seho, and this week's guest is Browns legend, Joe Thomas. He's a future NFL Hall of Famer and an overall great dude, so I'm so excited to share this conversation with all of you. In this episode, we talk to Joe about his legendary career, his love for the city of Cleveland and Browns fans, but then we also dive into what it was like for him to experience 10 straight losing seasons and why he finally decided to start seeing the team psychologist in Cleveland with the Browns, all of that and much, much more in this amazing episode with Browns legend Joe Thomas. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and apologize for this mustache. If you're watching on YouTube, it is a Houday stash. The Bengals are undefeated since I started growing it, so I'm not allowed to shave this mustache until they lose. Back to Joe Thomas. Before we get started with the podcast episode, let's kick things off with this week's mental health tip of the week, powered by One in Five. It's important to exercise both our bodies and our minds. Time spent outside can be very refreshing. Going for walks, jogging, and playing with your kids are great ways to get outside. If the weather is bad, going to the gym, walking on a treadmill, or simply doing exercises and stretches in your living room are all awesome ways to stay active physically. To stay mentally active, we can read, journal, try out daily puzzles, play games, and think introspectively. Keeping our bodies and minds active feels amazing and positively impacts our mental health. And if you or someone you know needs help finding a therapist or any mental health resources, go ahead and scan the QR code right here in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. It'll be up the entire episode, and it'll take you directly to One in Five's homepage, where their mission is to prevent suicide by stopping the stigma and starting the conversation. Now it is time for the latest episode of The Mental Game with an amazing conversation with Browns legend, Joe Thomas. Welcome back into the mental game. I am joined today by Browns legend, future NFL Hall of Famer. I'll say it here first. You just got put on the ballot. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. Joe Thomas, Joe, I appreciate you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for coming into Mikasa here yeah. and making it easy on me. You drove all the way from Cincinnati yeah, like last seven, night. Like seven and a half hours yeah, to Wisconsin. No yeah, it was all right. I got my... Uh, <laughs> The famous place for brats down on campus. Yeah, State Street Brats. Went there Great for lunch spot. today, got a t-shirt, so Absolutely. I'm always constant out here. Uh, first I thing it. I ask everyone when they come on this podcast is, what does mental health mean to you? So what does it mean to you and how have you been able to use it as a tool for yourself throughout your personal and professional career? I've never really thought about what mental health means, but I know the importance of mental health in my own life. Mm -hmm. I used sort of trying to control emotions and your brain and what your thoughts wander to when I was playing. And I think mm -hmm. that was one of my big benefits and big advantages over my opponents. Um, you hear a lot more guys talking about it in today's NFL, sure. about how they're using meditation, they're using their brain, they're trying to learn to teach their mind on where they want it to mm -hmm. go. And to me, that's a huge advantage in training, in performance, to yeah. be able to be at your best in the most critical moments. Um, and I don't think it was something that really people talked about it a whole lot. I didn't hear a lot of players talking about it, but I picked it up from yoga. Okay. Um, being able to kind of control your thoughts and your emotions um, and found that it was a big advantage in the moments in the game where I had to be at my best. Mm -hmm. I was able to calm and quiet my mind and focus on little things. And I think it gave me a huge advantage. I'm glad I played 10 years ago before everyone else yeah. knew about it. <laughs> you talked about it not being maybe at the forefront when you played for the Browns. Um, did you feel that like kind of 
tough guy, can't talk about it, just go and do it when it comes to mental health. Because really in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, it's become prevalent, whether it be sports, business, wherever in the world. Did you feel like it was kind of maybe, I don't know if looked down upon, but you felt maybe weak if you talked about it back then? Yeah, I think talking about emotions uh, was correlated with weakness back mm-hmm. in the early 2000s NFL and everything beyond that, really. Right. Um, nobody really wanted to open up about how they were feeling. It was just like, suck it up, go out and do your job. And mm-hmm. In, in some regards, I think that's an important message to understand that, you know, everybody's got things that they're going through. That sure. doesn't mean that it should be a crutch or an excuse. But right. at the same time, having an opportunity to talk about it, mm-hmm. having somebody that you feel like you can bounce ideas off of or just let them know, like, hey, I'm not feeling great today. Like, can you lift me up or just nothing else? Just having a sounding board, somebody mm-hmm. that's just willing to listen and for you to be able to express your emotions and let somebody know how you feel can be incredibly healing and and can be a way of helping just kind of pull you out of whatever you're feeling in that moment. You mentioned yoga kind of being a way for you when you played to keep your mind, you know, clean, straight. Um, But you played one of the toughest positions there is in football. You're in the trenches. You played over 10,000 straight snaps for the Browns, 10-time Pro Bowl, like Mm -hmm. I said, off the top. Where did you get that mindset to just keep going, keep working, have that tough, nasty mentality? So I think I got that from my dad, you okay. know, um, raised in Brookfield, Wisconsin, a couple parents in the house and, and they had a big influence on the value system that I was raised with mm-hmm. morals, um, and how I went out and played sports. So for me, loyalty was a big thing, you know, my house, toughness, hard work, dedication, mm-hmm. commitment, um, dedication, not only to yourself and your sport, but your teammates right. and a reliability of showing up there. My dad, he, he made like 20 years in a row and never missed a day of work. And one day in Milwaukee, uh, they had like 16 inches of snow. And, you know, there was never a decision in his mind, should I or shouldn't I go? It's just, you just do it, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the big hurdles that a lot of guys struggle with is they have to decide, should I or shouldn't I do everything the coach <laughs> tells me or everything that's on my workout sheet or do I finish the rep all the way? Right. And I think... One of the best things you can do as an athlete is take that decision-making process out of your head and just do it Mm because then you don't have to think about it. So my dad, 16 inches of snow, he wasn't thinking, should I or shouldn't I go to work? He's like, it's a Monday. I I don't care. I got to go. Like, there's not a decision to be made. I don't have to beat myself up over it. I put the cross-country skis on and I go to work. (laughs) I skied 10 miles through the snow and I get there because that's just what I do. And I think that was ingrained in my brain Mm -hmm. and just who I was from an early age that you just show up, you don't even think about it. And for me, not missing a a start in football in my entire career until I tore my tricep tendon in year 11, that goes back to seventh grade. It was a matter of, I'm just going to play until I can't, and I'll know when I can't. Yeah. You see so many guys today right. that they come out of the game, every little bump and bruise, and they have to have the doctor check it out to tell them it's okay. Yeah. It's like they need that feedback from a doctor to say, yeah, you're fine. You can keep mm-hmm. playing, rather than my approach, which was just, I'm going to just go play, right. and like my Figure body will later. tell yeah. me when, when I can't do it anymore and when I right. tore my tricep tendon. Like I knew. I tore my ACL uh, in the bowl game my senior year, or my junior year in college. Mm-hmm. I knew I tore my ACL and I wasn't going to be able to play. But there was plenty of other moments I was hurting, but I knew right. that I should probably try. And then I tried, and then I realized I can still do this. Like, yeah. And I can do it at a high level, so I might as well keep playing because I owe it to the guys around me to mm-hmm. give my best when I'm still available. You were just inducted earlier this year into the Browns Legends Club. Congrats, by the way, on that. That's, that's a big accomplishment. I remember listening to that press conference. You talked about how when you were a rookie, you said you wanted to be a pro bowler and you wanted to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Did you have any idea when you said that, that you were 
going to do that. I mean, I, you're not in yet. You're on the ballot, first time being eligible. Mm-hmm. But looking back, however many years ago, 15 years ago, to think about that kid saying that right then to now being where you are on the doorstep of the Pro Football mm-hmm. Hall of Fame, how do you wrap your mind around that? Yeah, I don't. That, that's the key <laughs> is I don't really think about it other than people that are already asking me about like, hey, what's the party going to be like? Have you thought about your speech? Can I be invited? Can I bring a friend? And all this stuff. I'm like, dude, I'll think about that when I'm even maybe a finalist. I'll like yeah, let yeah. my brain kind of wander in that direction, but I'm happy just being involved in the process mm-hmm. right now. And the great thing about the Hall of Fame from my perspective is I've always been a guy about – I think about what I can control and what I don't control. Right. And I don't worry about stuff I don't control. Mm-hmm. I don't control what happens with the Hall of Fame. The work's already been put in, so I can right. just kind of enjoy the process right now. But going back to my rookie season, I remember uh, in the media asked me, like, what were my goals for my career or whatever, you know, yeah. a generic question from the local media. And yeah. I was like, well, I'd like to try to become the starter, and then I'd like to be a pro bowler, and then I'd like to make the Hall of Fame. You know, those are individual goals. <laughs> yeah. And they looked at me, they're like, whoa, whoa, these things don't exactly belong on the same call sheet. Like, yeah. you want to be a starter? Well, you're going to be a starter, dude. You're the third overall pick. Right. Even if you stink, they're going to let you ch- have a chance to start. And then Pro Bowl, okay, we get that. But like, whoa, let's slow down on the fame. Hall of Fame stuff. But I'm like, that's, hey, that's that should be everyone's you, goal. Oh, and you speak into existence. You dream big. Now, me being on the other side of that, interviewing players yeah. when they come in and yeah. someone says that, of course, they're going to give you a look like as a yeah. local reporter. Eh, I don't know. Hall of Fame. Let's yeah. pump the brakes, let's a, pump little the brakes there, a little bit. You mentioned things that you can and can't control. Let's go through your career in Cleveland. You are one of the all-time greats with the Browns. Not as many wins as you wanted when you were there. On the mental health side of things, how tough was that playing through years where you guys were struggling in the win column? I would say early on in my career, I did a really good job of focusing on the things I can control and not allowing things that were out of my control to like really upset me, mm-hmm. get into my mental makeup and affect my own preparation. Because yeah. I was a firm believer from the Belichick school because my first two head coaches actually were from the Bill Belichick tree, mm-hmm. Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini. And they were good about kind of teaching you that the best teammate you can be is the one that focuses on yourself and becomes the best version of yourself yeah because if everybody has that mindset then everyone's going to be the best version of themselves right which makes the best team but what they've said is that they've seen a lot of guys you start worrying about what the quarterback's doing you start worrying about what the db is doing all of a sudden you're not worrying about the only guy that you can control what he does out there on the field. Yeah. And then your own play slips. And I think then there becomes like this diffusion of responsibility a little mm-hmm. bit within the team. Like, oh, it's a lot easier to point fingers because the quarterback's not throwing the right passes right. or like the running back didn't hit the right hole. Then everyone, you take a little relax, deep breath with your own preparation and you're not as focused as you should be. And I, I just think that you got to focus on what you can control and, it wasn't until later in my career where I started like it affected me a little bit more mm-hmm. because I think after, you know, hundred plus games, my last 10 years, we had losing records every year. Yeah. I convinced myself going into every year that this was our year. We could do it. And you kind of build up this fantasy in your head. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the quarterback we got, he's going to develop into a stud and we got this great defense. And yeah. 
because as a competitor, in order to get the best out of yourself, you got to believe that you can right. go win it's the championship. It's a mental game just for you. It's a mental game, right? So you're subconsciously convincing yourself mm -hmm. that this is the team and you're going to be able to do it. And then that's what you do during the season every week. It's like right. your coaches put out the game plan, then they install the game plan, they teach it to you, practice it, and by the end of the week, they try to reinforce why this game plan is better than your opponents and then mm -hmm. you're ready to win. And so I bought in for 11 years, and then in my 11th season, I remember going into the Patriots game. I really hated the Patriots because they yeah. beat our ass a lot. <laughs> you know, we only, I think, beat them once in the, yeah. I don't know, eight They were kind of so. good. They were pretty good. So yeah. I give them credit. But, like, the fact that we kept getting these Patriots coaches and they kept stinking and we kept stinking mm -hmm. made me hate Belichick even more. <laughs> and then the fact that Brady kept winning all these Super Bowls and everyone acted like there was some, like, magic potion when i'm like it's brady yeah. like belichick's the greatest coach of all time right but when you got that quarterback kind of that kind of helps <laughs> like let's go here people but so i was like oh man we really got to beat him and we had the game plan installed mm -hmm. we practiced it and i was like yeah we got him like we're gonna smoke these dudes and of course uh spoiler alert kids at home we lost by like 40 yeah <laughs> and i remember being in the car on the way home after the game and I just started breaking down and, and crying i was in the passenger seat my wife was driving um and she knows because she was a college athlete. Like, mm -hmm. don't ask too many questions after a game because you need a little cooling off period. There's a lot going through your mind. And right. so, she, but she saw me cry, and I don't think she ever saw me cry after a game. Um, and I'd had plenty of bad games. So she was like, what happened? Did you like have a bad game? And I was like <laughs> fighting back tears. I'm like, no, actually I played a perfect game. I didn't have a single mistake, which like never happens. And, and she's like, well, why are you so upset? And I'm like, because I just I just can't handle the losing anymore. And I was just like, I was like crying. And I was like, it's just, it's affected me to a level of like my manhood. And the mm -hmm. fact that I feel like I'd been like kidding myself all along. And like, it finally hit me in the face that we weren't any good and we weren't going to win any games. We ended up going 0-16 um, that season. So I was right about that. Yeah. But but like it, 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 it broke me a little yeah. bit, you know? And she was great about it. She was like, maybe you should talk to somebody in within the Browns because they have psychologists yeah. um, available to talk to. So then we went in on Monday and I had a chance to pull our psychologist aside and said, hey, we'd love a chance to just talk to you. And, you know, we started talking about all the things that were in my mind and like mm -hmm. what was going on. And it was amazing walking out of there. It's not like he waved the magic wand or had like a magic sponge, but right. just that opportunity to talk to somebody about how I was sure. feeling. I felt a lot bit better about that. Well, we all have moments that, that, that break you or, or take a shot at you. Did you feel like that was the, that car ride was the biggest moment for you that really broke you or hurt you just because of the realization of shit, this isn't, this isn't going how I thought it would. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. It was the realization that I'd been fooling myself and that the losing was, it was killing me because you put everything you have every week and then you convince yourself you're going to win and then mm -hmm. you let yourself down. Um, and I think that car ride was, like that breaking point where I realized that I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't right. keep it inside anymore. And I needed to talk to somebody. And my wife was always a great sounding board mm -hmm. for being able to talk about my feelings and emotions and stuff. But I felt like this one needed maybe a little bit more professional sure. help because I was really messed up. And I ended up talking with the team psychologist like three, four more times. And it was amazing just how great the perspective that that person gave me sure. was and how much that helped me when I did deal with similar issues like that. Would you say that you had any type of depression, anxiety, or what were they able to kind of help you with to, to power through that moment? Yeah, you know, I didn't, 
ever feel like a lot of anxiety or maybe clinical depression? I would say uh, intermittent depression just because of how the season was going and like how every loss was like snowballing and making me feel even worse. Um, And the feeling of not having control because Mm. I was personally playing good football, like winning football. And it's hard as good as I was early on in my career, blocking mm. out the noise, the record, all yeah. those things, it just got to the point where it was just too much for me because I was blocking out things I didn't even control, but I couldn't block it out anymore, and it was yeah. finally affecting me. Did you see that feeling grow? I mean, I'm sure you saw it throughout your career when you guys were losing year after year in the locker room, but that specific year, do you remember seeing certain guys, and you don't need to name names, but seeing certain guys go through similar stuff of like they just felt beat like they couldn't do anything anymore. yeah I saw the coaches go through that and I saw the veteran players do that Mm -hmm. I think the benefit of being a young player in the NFL is you don't know what you don't know yeah and so we had a lot of young guys that didn't know what they didn't know and you know they they hated losing too but they're just happy to be in the NFL they're on a rookie contract they're They're still going out this weekend like yeah like it doesn't affect their life as much but when you get old like it's like family and then how your team's playing. Yeah. That's it. Like you just, you don't go out, you don't really have a whole lot else going on. And so for you to just constantly be dealing with that losing, especially when you feel like you're putting everything you have Mm -hmm. into it and the performance is there on your side of things only to have those losses just over and over and over again, it just compounded in my head. I know this is kind of a loaded question. I'm not asking you to dog the Browns, but why do you think things never clicked as a team during your career? I mean, you guys had a couple decent years, but why do you think, big picture-wise, it didn't yeah. click for that decade? The NFL is such a quarterback-driven league that you need to really have that all-protect quarterback mm-hmm. to be able to consistently compete. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't, like you basically have to be perfect everywhere else right. to be able to win a game. And doing that 16 times over in a season is just not going to happen. You may win a few games. Right. Defense plays well. You know, Maybe a couple skill guys make some plays. Mm-hmm. Maybe you run the ball well a few weeks, but overall, like you got to have that quarterback that can make plays on third down, that can make plays in the red zone, yeah. and that can make plays at the end of the half and into the end of the game. Because even those seasons, my last two that we were one in fifteen and zero oh in sixteen, we were losing some pretty close games. So the yeah. margin of victory and defeat is not that great in the NFL, yeah. even when you're talking about Tom Brady versus rookie quarterback that we had. Yeah, you um. Your career, though, you were one of those staples in Cleveland. Those fans, I mean, I'm from Cincinnati. We had a lot of losing seasons before the Bengals went to the Super Bowl this past year. What, what did it say about the loyalty in that fan base to stick with you guys? Did you feel like they were part of you when you were in those low years? They stuck through everything. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, I was cheering for the Bengals in the there Super Bowl right. because uh, I feel there's like a little brotherly love and understanding of the cir- yeah. circumstances <laughs> with that loyalty surrounding a losing franchise. But um, I don't know. I, I think for, for the Browns, the, one of the things that I love the most about their fan base is how loyal they are, sure. how passionate they are. Yeah. And they show me a lot of love because of my own loyalty playing 11 years there and mm-hmm. having the opportunity to try if I wanted to go play somewhere else, go chase a ring. But I, I was, I was always really driven to bring a championship to Cleveland. Um, and I think a large measure of how good your fan base is, is like the loyalty when things aren't going well. Right. Cause it's easy to cheer for a winner. Right. It's easy to Fans show up. Fill up bars. Let's are packed, go, baby. Like tickets are up. Like, yeah, hey, I love cheering for a winner too, but I think, 
it means more to fan bases that are loyal even through the lean years. Right. Well, that's what I, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati. I've been in this business for almost 10 years now. And I was a sports reporter covering the team, but the Bengals are my hometown team. So yep. seeing them go to this, I'll, like interviewing Joe and Jamar on the field after the game, Zach Taylor coming up and dapping me up. Players giving yeah. me hugs, acting like I did something to get them to the Super Bowl. Yeah. But when you're around those guys and you see the work yeah. they put in and then they finally achieve it, it was a pretty cool emotional moment, not just for them, for me, for the city. I mean, yeah. it was a super cool thing. Um, what are you most proud of in, in your career? Is it, you know, playing all those snaps in a row? Is it, is it being loyal to Cleveland? Um, I, that's another kind of loaded question, but what are you mm -hmm. most proud of in your career? When I reflect back on my career, I would say the thing I'm the most proud of is just being there 10,363 straight snaps for my teammates. Because right. as a lineman, I didn't touch the ball other than a few fumble recoveries during <laughs> my career. So I wasn't scoring points. I wasn't catching passes. Yeah. Really, all I can do is show up and do my best to block my guy be there for the double teams with my guard and yep. my tight end, try to be there for my quarterback to keep his backside clean, mm -hmm. open up some holes for my running back. And for me, when I see that number, like in the Brown stadium, they put that number up uh, in their ring of honor. Yeah. To me, that gives me a lot of pride that I fought through some tough times from, from lack of winning, mm -hmm. uh, injury, just, losing and yeah. having other guys sit out because hey, the season's over don't get hurt save yourself for next year right but for me it was important to always be there for my teammates um and i hope that the guys that i played with that are still on the team the joel batonios the david mm -hmm. and jokus those guys are maybe teaching some of the values some some of um the things that I emphasize when I was there as the captain and they were the rookie right. that now they are emphasizing to the guys in that locker room right now as the veterans to the rookies. Turning the page, you're back to living in Wisconsin. You've been out of football for five years now. What is life like after football for you? One, you look amazing. I know a thousand people have told you that and we'll get into that in a second, but what has life been like mentally after football? Because a lot of guys struggle towards the end of their career and then once they're out they don't know what to do what's yeah. it been like for you since yeah well it was great talking with the brown psychologist towards the end of my career when i was kind of dealing struggling with the losing mm -hmm. um because we did some have some conversations about life after football because i retired shortly after my 11th season yeah. and had built a relationship with uh the browns psychologist and so for me it was an easy conversation to talk to him about like you know, what are the minefields looking like out there for guys that are retired? Because yeah. to your point, there's a lot of guys that do struggle. A lot of my teammates. And I feel like I was very proactive talking to my teammates that had retired before me, watching them from afar, mm -hmm. trying to see what the pitfalls were, why they kind of ran into issues and, um, you know, being there to support them when they needed it, but also asking the questions about like, what do you miss about football? Why, as a football player, you're grumpy every single day when you walk in the locker room, <laughs> but now that you're not, like you're yeah. you're reflecting back in those days like it was the greatest time of your life. And one of the big things that I took away from those guys was a sense of purpose. You know, when mm -hmm. you're a football player, you walk in the building every day and you have a very clear sense of purpose. Right. You're trying to win the Super Bowl. So it's very easy. Everything that you organize and you prioritize during your day is kind mm -hmm. of how do I make myself and my team better so we can win a championship? So it's very clear, even in the off season, yeah. you know what you're trying to do. 
Uh, and when you're not on a football team, you're not playing football anymore, and you're not trying to get back into the NFL. Right. What's your sense of purpose? Like, it's it's easy to say, well, it's being a father. Yeah. It's being a husband, which is the most important purpose in the world. But how do you concretely mm -hmm. do things to move towards the Super Bowl of fatherhood or right. husbandhood? <laughs> like, it's easy to say, well, I improved on my bench press and yeah. you know worked on my fitness and my pass set. So yep. I'm a better player and I'm making strides towards Just winning the Super Bowl. Right. But like as a father or husband, the success chalk markings on the on the scoreboard yeah. are a lot less clear and defined. Right. So it's more difficult, especially as an analytical person, mm -hmm. as a football player, to be able to like concretely see what am I doing that's you know, making strides towards who I want to be. Sure. Um, and I think also the other part of it is you've identified almost your entire life as an athlete or specifically a football player. Right. And that identity is gone the second you retire. Mm -hmm. And everyone thinks, oh, it's not going to be true. I won a Super Bowl. I'm this person, that person, you know, MVP of this. But the second you're gone, you're the former football player and you're right. not currently doing it anymore. You're not getting the same perks that you had you're not getting the same respect that you used mm -hmm. to have um but also like it's hard for you to come to terms with you're not a football player anymore because a lot of times careers were cut shorter than they wanted right and so a guy is a former football player a lot sooner than they mm -hmm. expected uh and that's also pretty difficult to kind of wrap your mind around so the one thing the psychologist told me is like you have to treat the end of your football career almost like a death in the family like your football career is dead and you have to find a new identity that fills you up oh wow and i felt really lucky that i kind of stumbled into the media right away because it mm -hmm. didn't make me fully feel like my football identity was dead because right. i'm still kind of a football player-ish or was a football player yeah. where i can use some of the knowledge that i learned from 20 years of playing yeah in my profession whereas a guy that starts over and he's going into insurance sales or whatever mm -hmm. else like it may be hard for him to now be like well, I'm an insurance salesman right. or like, yeah, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> a little a, different. I'm a, an exterminator or whatever it looks like. Like right. it's hard to, to identify as that new thing. Cause it'll never be as great as far as the public perception as sure. a professional football player. Right. And, and kind of piggybacking off that. And I don't want you to share someone's business if you don't want to, but is there a, a former teammate or a guy that you know that really did struggle where you kind of made to maybe had to assert yourself or be there for, it was hard for you to watch because they weren't dealing with it as, as yeah. good as you were. I mean, you took that step in your final year mm -hmm. to see the psychologist and talk about what's next, treat it like a death in the family and, and be able to move on. Is there any guy that stands out that really struggled and you tried to be there for, you had a connection with? Yeah, I've had a few teammates like that. Um, surprisingly, just about every teammate that I've had that has retired, you go through it to some extent or another mm -hmm. and – as a friend, as a former teammate, I think the best thing we can do is be there for them. Let them know that we care about them. Right. Let them know that their life is important to us. Like what they're doing is important. Yeah. So you just checking in, you know, because sometimes guys have to go through their own twists and turns and adventures to get to a place where they yeah. are comfortable, like spilling a little bit more and talking about right. things and feeling like it's good and it's part of the process to have those deeper softer conversations, conversations that maybe yeah. as a football player you were afraid to dive in because you didn't want that label being softer you know? right he's not a tough guy that that car ride we talked about a little bit earlier would you say that was your darkest day 
or did you have something else that maybe kind of was the t- was hanging it up the toughest day or was that car ride the toughest day? I would say the car ride was the toughest because when I tore my tricep tendon and then I missed the rest of the season, I kind of knew that because I had a really bad knee, yeah. I was probably going to retire. I hadn't let myself think about whether I would or wouldn't because mm-hmm. I kind of knew what the result was going to be. Right. And I didn't think it was fair to my teammates to, in the middle of their season, have the focus be on me. Am I going to retire or not? So I didn't sure. want to think about it. Yep. And, I, and like I talked about with my yoga background and the meditation and mm-hmm. sort of trying to learn how to teach my mind to stay away from certain things and, and veer yeah. towards other things It helped me in my performance on the football field, but it also helped me off the field because if mm-hmm. I said like, I don't want to consider whether I'm going to retire or not. And I'm going to leave that thought process and those conversations till yeah. after the season. Like I felt like I was pretty good at doing that because I yeah. knew it was the best thing for me and my team. Since football, like I said, you look great. You were uh, a bigger guy, obviously playing up front in the trenches. What's the secret? Um, what kind of motivated you to change yeah. and, and make that difference with your body? Well, I mentioned my knee was kind of why I retired. Yeah. Um, I've got, bone on bone in my knee in a few spots. And that was really what was weighing on my mind my last couple of years. Cause it was starting to affect my performance cause mm-hmm. I couldn't practice and it was always swollen where I, I couldn't really walk around on it during the yeah. week and I had to get it drained and shot up every week. Um, so that was part of the, the low moment that I had in the car ride. Yeah. Um, to your point was the losing my own good performance, but then also the fact that I had this knee that was like rapidly deteriorating and there was the unknown of how long it's going to hang on. Like, is it going to in the middle of the season, like give out and I'm going to be just done, done. Yeah. Um, so I think part of that and not having control and knowing when that would happen. Yeah. Kind of led partially to it. Um, but yeah, with my knee, I I knew that that was going to be possibly why I was going to have to retire Mm -hmm. and, I felt okay about that, right? Because I had yeah. always thought about retirement as the next chapter. Mm-hmm. I didn't always identify only as a football player. And I think for offensive linemen, that can be a little bit easier because we're never the guys that have the spotlight and the glory sure. on us. You're not us. the quarterback. You're not the yeah. wide receiver where it's, exactly. yeah, I know what you're saying. So in retirement, we're not trying to replicate that feeling of catching a touchdown pass because right. we never did. Right. So for me, I always thought of a second act as like a father and a husband and mm-hmm. a you know youth coach. And I had all these other things in mind. And so it was just sort of a matter of, yeah, I think this is time to move into that second phase and make my family my priority. What has that been like? I mean, obviously I'm at your house here in Wisconsin and wife answers the door, kids running around upstairs. I mean, is yeah. this exactly what yeah. you imagined it'd be once yeah. you got out of football? Uh, I don't know what I imagined it, <laughs> but I know that uh, I've got some wonderful kids that are yeah, way four, cooler. Right? Four kids. They're way cooler than I ever expected, and I definitely want to spend way more time with them than yeah. I thought I would right? because they're really fun, Yeah. Uh, especially when they came out as babies. I was like, yeah, you guys aren't that much fun. You guys, <laughs> I can't take you fishing. I can't yeah. take you to football games. Yeah. Like, when are we going to be fun? But now they're like in that age that's really fun, and it's really more of a challenge mm-hmm. to go away and do work and be away from right. them because they are pretty awesome. Do they realize who you are or do they no, care? They don't like- care. <laughs> and the funny thing is I got inducted in the Browns legends club uh, recently yeah. and everyone was asking me about my kids' memories of me playing. And I asked my oldest and she told me the only memory she has of me playing football was 
her sitting on the concrete floor at First Energy Stadium where the Browns play uh-huh. and eating peanuts. She has zero memory of me like wearing a uniform or, or playing being the this game Hall of Fame player or, or doing anything. 10,000 right? snaps. Yeah. Oh my. So essentially, all four of my children have no memory whatsoever of me playing. So it's been really cool to go back, yeah. put the jersey on, yeah. see get the on Browns the field, gear and- see the Browns gear, and prove to them that I did play in the NFL and you should respect me when yeah, I, I tell mean, you to go to bed. There's only you know, Pro Bowl jerseys That's right. and everything back That's here. Right. That's right. Come down here. See, that's me. I know they don't believe it, but that's the guy over there that's going to kick your butt if you don't go to bed right now. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Let's get into some fun questions here as we wrap things up. Favorite moment of your career? I think the favorite game of mine was we played this amazing. Not the Tom Brady game. It wasn't the Tom Brady game. It was maybe the other Tom Brady game. The one time we beat it with Colt McCoy as our quarterback at home. Uh, No, actually, my favorite game was my rookie year. We beat the Buffalo Bills 8-0 to in a driving blizzard. It was in December. Such a Buffalo-Cleveland score. Dude, it was awesome, right? (laughs) Everything was just perfect, right? We got seven inches of snow between the time that we finished warm-ups and went into the locker room and that we came out like 15 minutes later. Is this I mean, Cleveland or Buffalo? Cleveland. Oh. It was a legit whiteout. It was like being a kid and it reminded me of when I was a child and we would go outside during Christmas break uh-huh. and we'd play in the snowbanks. We'd play football in the snowbanks. And it was so much fun, right? There was mm-hmm. like nothing to lose. It was just fun right. diving in the snow. And that's what it felt like because especially as a rookie, there's a lot of stress on everything you do, making yeah. sure you're perfect and you do everything exactly right. And of course you don't do a lot of stuff right because mm-hmm. you're a rookie. But going out and playing in the snow, I felt like you could play free because right. there was nothing like holding you back. It was just like being a kid again. Yeah. And we ended up winning. We had two field goals and a safety. It kept us in the playoff race uh, that year, which we ended up 10 and 6, didn't make mm-hmm. the playoffs. But it was the best season that I had. Um, and so that memory is probably my fondest memory from my career. Favorite teammate and why? I know I'm putting you on the spot yeah. for just one. And I had but, a lot of great teammates. Yeah. My best friend from my playing days is Alex Mack. He was my mm-hmm. center. I think I played with him the longest, um, but I always appreciated him because he was so smart. Yeah. He was so focused. He played so hard. We called him the golden retriever because he was just like the guy that wanted to please the coach. <laughs> Whatever it was, he was, yes, coach, I'll do it. Um, and he was a guy I counted on when he was my center for a large majority of my right. career because he makes the calls. He makes sure everybody's on the same page. He makes sure the snap count mm-hmm. is getting off on time so I can get off and do my job. Um, and we were great friends off the field. We travel together, uh, even now in retirement, like to go overseas yeah. and we like to eat and drink and have a good time. So um, he's definitely probably my favorite teammate. That's awesome. And you mentioned drinking. I saw at your bar behind me, there's a uh, beer with your face on That's it. Can right. you, what, what is, can you That's tell me right. about that? So Great Lakes Brewing, yeah. the famous microbrew in mm-hmm. Cleveland. They make a bunch of great award-winning yep. brews. We get some and of them down to Cincinnati, I, they, too. They so send a few down to Cincinnati. Yeah. Dortmunder Gold is probably their yeah. most favorite. And then Christmas Ale is okay. their seasonal that everyone loves. But the CEO actually used to live next door to me, and he would come over and oh, drink sweet. beer when I was playing. But as a player, you're not allowed to rep alcohol brands. So when I retired, he said— you, Back then you weren't, because now you can you can. Oh, maybe they changed. Yeah, yeah. It. It's got. I mean, like, Sam, good friend Sam Hubbard plays for the Bengals. He's got. I think Miller Light now is his. But, oh, awesome. So, oh, you, they it, the world evolved a little bit. That's NIL, right. NIL, alcohol, NIL, the NFL. NFL. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> what else do you need? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he came over and he was like, you know, now that you're retired, 
what do you think about brewing a beer? And I was like, say less. <laughs> yes. Uh, where do I sign up? So we went over there early one morning to the oh, brew cool. pub with uh, the two brew masters and tried like 30 beers at eight in the morning. And yeah. I told them what I liked and didn't like about every beer. And the brew master just came up with a 73 Kolsch beer, which is a traditional Kolsch style okay. beer. Um, and the very first vat that they made i tasted it and i was like that's awesome done you know that's and amazing i think they hit the balance between drinkability and flavor yeah because sure. we wanted it to be a tailgate beer we right. wanted it to be a fall beer so have a little bit more flavor like an oktoberfest yeah but not be so much that if you drink a sixer at a tailgate yeah you're not making it into the game right so i think it, it hit that and it's been cool i think we've got like four years or so of okay doing it with great lakes so Hall of Fame and then having your own beer yeah, right yeah. Yeah, below yeah. it, I think. Yeah, neck and neck. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you don't slap me for asking this question. Can you name every quarterback you played no, with? No, that's the good answer because <laughs> I've tried before. And yeah. uh, even after doing it a few times, they still have to feed me a few of the names because the middle part of my career, we were having like three or four quarterbacks every and year. And honestly, watching it from afar in Cincinnati was wild. Yeah, and I'm so sorry to all those guys. I love all of them. Great yeah. teammates, but I just can't remember all of them. Did you ever see like that very popular meme I'm sure you have with all the names in the back of the jersey? Oh, and, yeah. yeah. It's like a cape now. There's like 30-plus yeah. since 99. <laughs> Let, let's get into this year's Browns team. Why, it's early in the season while we're recording this. This isn't going to come out until November, but – uh, just this team, what excites you about them? It does seem like there's a new chapter in the Browns organization. Yeah. Well, f just from a fan's perspective, it's a fun team to cheer for because it's, it's a lot of guys that are selfless. And mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said about guys that have great personalities and yeah. like the center of attention, which is cool. It's fun. You yeah. know, they make for little cool social media hits. Right. Um, but when it's my team, I love having the guys like, Nick Chubb and the Miles Garrett, the guys that are just quiet workers mm -hmm. that go about their business. They give their all every single day. And as a former player, I respect that about them. Yeah. And I would have loved to have teammates like that because um, you know exactly who you're going to get from that person right. every single day. And as a fan, I think you can identify with a, a person that seems to love what they do. Sure. And they give everything they have every single day. Mm -hmm. And, oh, by the way, they're, like, all pros. Yeah, really good at football. That, that <laughs> yeah, helps, too. Yeah, yeah, Do you feel like this is a team that can compete? I mean, we talked about you kind of realizing later in your career that, all right, we're probably not going to compete for a Super Bowl. Do you feel like this is a playoff contender year in and year out now in Cleveland? I think it is because they've got a lot of really, really good pieces. Mm -hmm. um, it actually reminds me a little bit of the Bengals defense last year. Sure. You know, it was a bunch of guys that were really good, but sort of unheralded. Mm -hmm. And it gave them a flexibility and scheme, right. which today's NFL, especially in the playoffs, it's a lot about matchups. It's right. Like, you know, this team can't stop the run. This team's good at running the ball. Well, this week that, that team smokes the team that can't stop the run. And then the next yeah. week they get smoked because the other team does the something that they didn't well. Cause yeah. it's all about matchups. But if you have flexibility, that gives you an, a tremendous advantage, especially going through the playoffs where, mm -hmm. as we know, it's loser leave town. So I think the Browns' offense, they're very dynamic. They can do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, it makes them really tough to defend, especially that running game with sure. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Um, and they've got a top-five defense. They haven't played like it at the beginning of the season necessarily, but the talent is there, and I think once they get on the same page yeah. – it's going to be a really difficult defense because they've got just 
loads of talent in the secondary, so they mm-hmm. can cover a lot of these AFC teams yeah. that have great receivers. Well, Del Pitt, Greedy, I covered them when they were at LSU, yeah. so I know how aggressive and good they are. Last two questions. One, what do you do when you watch a Browns game now? Are you sitting here in the basement in the man cave watching on the TVs of the yeah. family? Are you out at a bar? Are you, yeah, you try, how many yeah. games do you try to go to? What's it like with you? Yeah, so I usually like watching games either like in my house yeah. or somewhere where not a lot of people are going to bug me. Right. Because I want to watch the game because <laughs> yeah. I really like football. Like, right. Especially it's also my personal team. to you. It's yeah. very personal. Um, when I go to Badger games, it's a little bit more social. I mean, yeah. I like watching the game, there's no doubt. Um, but with Browns games, I don't even really drink a lot like i was at yeah. a game recently and we were up in the suites and you know it's unlimited beer and food and stuff and I, I didn't have any of it i just wanted to sit there and watch yeah you know and i think that's probably different than a lot of fans sure but the it's just a little more important to me and i, I really just enjoy the art of watching the game of football and yeah. the strategy within the game so if i'm there i, I don't want anybody bother bothering me <laughs> and if i'm get here it. like my son a couple of my girls are curled up on the couch with me and they might yep. ask a few questions, but they're pretty smart yeah. about their football game too. And so it's, it's focusing on what's happening on the field. Well, it sounds like dad, but might need to go in effect here in just a second. The house yeah, is, right. uh, kids are getting a little excited here in the afternoon. Um, last thing I'll ask advice for a, a young athlete, a young football player that's wanting to do what you did play over a decade mm-hmm. in the NFL. You're going to be a hall of famer one day. You're in the Browns legends club a guy that competed at the highest level, had success, what would be your biggest piece of advice to someone that wants to do what you did? Simply, I would just say, be great at the things that take no talent Mm -hmm. because that can be the difference between you and the next guy. Be on time, pay attention, work hard. Like If you can do those things and you can focus on that, you can overcome any deficiencies that you have with your own athleticism or your own speed or power or things like that. Because so many times guys aren't willing to do those easy little things that take no talent. Great answer. Great interview. I appreciate it. And uh, we might have to get into some of these beers at some point. Let's go, baby. We got plenty. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time here on The Mental Game. And I can't thank Joe enough for inviting me out to his house in Madison, Wisconsin. It was an eight-hour drive from Cincinnati, Ohio. But as you just watch and listen to the podcast episode, you know it was well worth it. A great conversation with him about football, things on and off the field, his own mental health, life after the NFL. Just a great episode. So once again, thank you, Joe Thomas, for opening up with me right here on the mental game next week another big football guest nfl sideline reporter kaylee hartung you see her every thursday night on amazon prime for the nfl's thursday night football game she joins me right back here on the mental game we talk about her life as a woman in sports also living out her dream on the nfl sidelines also we talk about some of the obstacles she had to overcome early in her life including losing her dad in a plane crash while she was a child all that and much much more next week right back here on the mental game (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.